Not sure why I'm talking like a cowboy. Uh, worship team, thanks for leading us this morning. I don't know if you noticed, Shane is not here this morning, and but it's like they didn't miss a beat. So I said I, that says a lot about the talent in our church, and it says a lot about Shane's leadership behind the scenes leading up to this. So thank you, guys. That's, that's good. So I want to talk a little bit about bridges this morning. Um, Kate Shelley High Bridge is just over yonder. If you haven't seen it, you should go take a look. Better yet, uh, hop on a train and go across it, um, which I haven't done myself. I'm, I need to do that still. But Kate Shelley High Bridge, um, let's throw that up on the screen here. It was built, it took three years to build, the original one anyway, from 1899 to 1901. It's 190 feet high. How high is that? Well, um, Disney's Cinderella Castle, you know, the one where everyone takes the, the family photo. Yay, we're at Disney. Look it up, you know. Um, that's 190 feet high, so it's, it's pretty high. And it's 2,813 feet long, which is almost eight football fields long, to give some perspective. You'll notice there's double tracks. So you got the older one and the newer one. Um, but you got double tracks on both of them, so you can have two trains going simultaneously. Now, here's what I know about bridge building, okay? Studied long and hard to figure this out. Three main steps to build a bridge, okay? You got you to gotta gather the supplies. Let's just say the design's already done, okay? Going to build the bridge, you got to gather the supplies. You got to build it, and then you step back and hope nobody falls off or that it doesn't crumble as something goes across it. That's how you build a bridge, okay? I know, I know, it's brilliant. Um, but, uh, we're going to look at Acts 17 today and Paul builds some relational bridges with people. Um, that was kind of a rough transition to that, but here we go. Anyway, um, Paul's building bridges in Acts 17. If you want to turn to Acts 17 with me, um, he gathers the supplies by studying and interacting with culture. Now, the supplies you need to share the gospel with people is actually more than just learning about the culture. You need to learn about God. And that's kind of, that's kind of a prerequisite here that isn't mentioned in Acts 17, but it's definitely there. Paul knew scripture. He was intimate with the Holy Spirit and he was with God's people. And that's how we learn about God. That's how we grow close to God. But that's assumed here. This morning, we're going to talk about how we can build bridges to culture in particular, to share the gospel. And so Paul does that well. And, and I love that phrase, if you've heard it, where it says, keep, keep the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And I think that's really profound. Maybe in our day and age, keep your Bible in one hand and your um, news app in the other. I don't know. You, t- you tell me. Um, certainly not Facebook in the other. But um, we digress. So, Paul's keeping track of culture. He's learning about culture and he builds bridges this way. He goes across. You'll remember on the Cape Chile High Bridge and most bridges, there's two lanes of traffic. So he builds a bridge across and he does that by pointing out their common belief. He says, I believe this. You guys believe this too. He doesn't just walk in and go, Jesus, yeah, he's the man. I mean, no. He builds a bridge. Oh, you... You believe this. I do too. And then he brings them back across the bridge, or tries to, and points out, shows how Jesus is the true fulfillment of that common belief. We both believe this. Do you realize that that's about Jesus? And then he steps back. 
and leaves the results to God. So let's look at it together. Acts 17. And if you're a note taker, I have some guided notes in there today. And there's three bridges that are being built. And the first one for your first blank is the bridge to Thessalonica. So that's what we see in verses 1 to 9. Let's read it. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed. And they, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So we have the bridge to Thessalonica here in verses 1 through 9. So, like any bridge building, you've got to gather the supplies first. So here's what he learns about the culture. He learns that there are a lot of Jews here. Now this is good for Paul. Paul was Jewish. Paul grew up, he was a leader amongst the Jews before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. So this, this is his place. He knows this culture well. Okay, but it says in verse 2, he reasoned with them. Now that word reason is used a couple times in Acts 17. It's used many times in Acts, and it's Paul's regular pattern. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean He stood up in front of everyone, got up on his soapbox and yelled at them, you're going to hell, Jesus is coming back. No, reasoned means question and answer. It means dialogue. The Greek word there actually sounds like our word in English, dialogue. There's give and take here. So Paul reasons with them. Now, here's the thing. When you share the gospel with people, you have to have their attention first and you have to have their ear first or the gospel will not be heard. Has your mom ever said, or maybe maybe you are that parent now that's saying this, right? Where where they're like, I feel like I'm talking to the wall, you know? Like, that's what it's like often. Most of the time, if if we just get on our soapbox and start yelling, and don't build a bridge and find some common beliefs. And, and before you even do that, just reason, question, answer. Get to know people. Get to know what they believe. And here's why this one word, reasoned, is such a big deal. Paul was here, it says, three Sabbaths. That's at least two weeks. So think about it. Two weeks of question and answer. It's not like this quick Q&A, let's get the FAQ sheet out and just get this over with so I can get to the good stuff. No. He's spending time listening and interacting with them. You know, today there's way too much truth yelling going on. Even in the Christian culture. And not enough listening, not enough dialoguing, not enough Q&A. 
Social media is the worst with this. We need to put down our phones, you guys, and have actual conversations with people. And then start to use these first. Listen. We need to become like Paul and become an excellent question asker. You don't reason for two weeks and in other places much longer than two weeks. And he maybe was even there longer. You don't do that without being a great question asker. And I think that's a lost art form in our culture right now. So, I want to propose to you a great way to think through how to do Q&A with people. Okay, how to get to know people really well. So the great commandment, you know, someone asked Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, essentially this, you need to love God and you need to love others as yourself. So, here's what I try to think through as I'm talking with people. And I don't always think through this grid and I don't go about it robotically. I do it because I actually want to get to know people, right? But hopefully this can be helpful to you as well. I just go backward. I go, so love God and love my neighbor as myself. Okay, let's start with themselves. Let's start with self. I'm just going to ask them all sorts of things about themselves, their job, what do they like, what gets you up in the morning, what are three words that best describe your life, questions like that, okay, when I'm first getting to know people. Then, it's going along well, maybe the next time I see them or whatever, you move on to let's move backwards, so love your neighbor as yourself, what about their neighbors, who's your family, who's your friends, who's your co-workers, who are the co-workers you can't stand, who are the co-workers you really like. And then you get to God. And I know this is the hard part, the hard part to transition in conversations with people about this. But man, if we are going to reach people with the gospel and build bridges to them and be great question and and ask ask people, if we're going to be great dialoguers, then we have to be great at then transitioning to talking about God. That's where you really start to learn their beliefs. And build a bridge. So questions like this. What's your spiritual background? What's your experience with church, Ben? What do you think happens after death? Who is God? Who is Jesus? And my favorite line to use in the whole process is this. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, really? Tell me more. Now, I want you you to listen well to this. Okay? I know that as I even said those questions, y'all were sitting here, or I'm sure some of you are sitting here going, yeah, but I'll say that, and what will people think of me? Or I'll say that, and people won't want to talk about it. Here's the thing. It's not nearly as scary and as awkward to ask those questions as the devil would have you think. I'll just say that. So, how does Paul build this bridge? Remember the two lanes of traffic? The two tracks, he goes across. He points out the common belief. So we see it. End of verse 2. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So this word Christ means Messiah. So the people he's talking to, the Jews, they had this belief that the Messiah was coming to save them. But they didn't think it was Jesus. So he was showing them in the Old Testament. Hey, you guys have a Messiah. You're looking for one. Me too. And, and he goes like this. He's like, okay. Um, 
he, he says he uses the scriptures, and there's lots of scriptures he could have chosen from, but I, he probably went to something like this, Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So he's probably like, hey, it looks like your scriptures say, because they, they would have regarded Isaiah 53 as God's words, being Jews. See, your scriptures say that the Messiah would have to suffer, right? He's pierced, he's crushed, and they're like, yeah, he does. And then he would move on and share something like this, Psalm 1610. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. I'm sure Paul was like, okay, David wrote this. This clearly couldn't have been about David because David died and is still dead, right? And they'd be like, yeah. Then you go, well, the Messiah, the Christ, had to rise from the dead. That's, that's what this is saying, right? And they'd be like, yeah. Okay. We both believe that the Messiah would have to suffer and rise from the dead. And so then he builds the brig- bridge back. Verse 3. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He's saying, see, Jesus fits the Old Testament description of the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And um, I learned, actually, um, from a really helpful book. It's called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Really short read. Um, It's apologetics. Why do we believe what we believe about Jesus? Um, I would highly recommend it. But I learned in this book that there are over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament that he fulfilled. Over 300. Now, he also points out some perspective. So imagine the state of Texas filled with silver dollars. How many of you have seen a silver dollar? Okay. All right. You're kind of with me. They're about... Look it up later, okay? Um, or go to the bank, see if you can still get one. I don't know if you can. But um, they're about yay, okay, depending on the silver dollar. But they're about yay. The one with Eisenhower is the one I'm thinking of. And you put a dot on one, a red dot on one, okay? And throw it into the state of Texas. After you filled the state of Texas two feet high with silver dollars, mix it all up, send someone in there with a blindfold on, To pick one up randomly, okay? And let's say they got that red one, the one with the red dot. The chances of eight, just eight prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus is that probability. Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. It's incredible. So Paul didn't have any shortage of things to choose from when he was showing them, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. Now it also says in verse 3, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. What did Paul proclaim about Jesus? What was he saying to them about Jesus? Well, we don't know exactly, but clearly it had to be something similar to, if not exactly, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, which says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. But what's key here is that Paul didn't go straight to that. Paul didn't go straight to telling them about Jesus and how he died and rose from the dead. No, he built a bridge. He found a common belief and then built it back that Jesus fulfilled this. 
So let's move on to the next bridge. This is the bridge to Berea, starting in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So this bridge to Berea is probably pretty similar to the bridge that he built in Thessalonica, because there was a bunch of Jews. Okay, so he's showing them, hey, the Messiah has to suffer and rise from the dead. We both believe that. Cool. Now, here's the difference. The Bereans were receptive. That's the difference between the Thessalonians, or at least most of them in the Bereans, receptiveness. It's like they already had half the bridge built. Paul came to them and said, hey, you, did you know that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead? And they're like, yeah, we already saw that. Who is that? And they're like, and Paul's like, Jesus. And they're like, yeah, of course he is. And they sprint across that bridge and believe in him. That's, that's what the Bereans are like. And it says they receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They obviously had a high view of scriptures and they weren't even believers in Jesus. But they had a high view of Scripture and they were like, you know what? I don't care who you are, Paul. I'm going to test what you say with Scripture. And I love that. Great pattern for us today as well. The third bridge he builds is a bridge to Athens. Verse 16 really starts to get good here. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So we reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. The bridge to Athens. So first he gathers the supplies by interacting with their culture. And it says in verse 16, while he was waiting for them. I mean, talk about as you're going, making disciples. Okay, think about it. Think about it. Paul has been hard at work. He's been persecuted. Okay, he's just been going for it, sharing the gospel with people. And I would guess that he's exhausted at this point. So here's what I would probably want to do in this situation. Okay, I'd want to take a nap. I'd want to hit up Chick-fil-A Athens, if it was a thing, okay, with, with the waffle fries and the spicy chicken deluxe and the shake. And then I'd want to catch a flick, okay? I mean, that's, it, just to be honest, that's what I'd want to do at this point. If I was Paul, I'm waiting around, okay? But here's what he does instead, or maybe he does this while he's doing that. I don't know, okay? Maybe he did all those things as well. We just don't know. But Paul... It says that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city, how it was full with idols. So he was observant. He's looking around. He's not just checking out. So even when he's on break, so to speak, he's, he's not checked out. He's looking around him. And he was, his spirit was provoked within him. Okay, it's like he was sitting there eating his spicy and he just drops the sandwich and goes, what is going on? So provoked, it means, he's, it means he's angry. It means he's shocked. It means he's moved by the culture. He's looking at the idolatry, at the sin, at the brokenness around him. And he's moved by it. It reminds me of a story my friend told me about an exhibit at a college. He was at a college in their student center, in their commons. And they had this exhibit for a while called Post Your Secrets. And anyone could anonym, anonymously just write something down and post this on this physical wall. And it was an exhibit. Okay, so students would come in and look at this. And here's some of the things that were posted. I was sexually abused when I was little. I've never told anyone because I'm scared they won't believe me. It's really messed up my view on sex. When I was beginning my freshman year in high school, I was raped by a guy I thought was my friend. My abuser goes to this school. I'm scared of running into them. Another person said, my parents don't know that I'm bisexual. Another student said, I feel depressed all the time but fake being happy so well. Another said, I've tried to kill myself twice. 
Another said, I was bullied throughout most of my childhood, and it still affects my behavior and confidence. Now I just don't know how to recover it, and I feel so alone. Those provoke my spirit. And I know those are unsettling. My friend told me ones that are even worse. And there could have been more. This was a huge wall. This was just a sampling of it. Like it or not, those things I just said uncover the idols in our culture right now. They do. And I know it's a little unnerving. But... But here's what Paul did. He was pre- he, he, so similarly, he's looking around. He's observing and he's going, what is going on? And he could have just, he could have just uh, done the, the fight or flight, right? He could have just got on his soapbox and, and started preaching at him. Or he could have just hidden a hole somewhere, right? And gone, la, 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 it's not going on. I just need to get to my next place. But instead, what does he do? He reasons with them once again. He loves them. He listens to them. He's moved to action. He's like, these people need Jesus and I need to do something about it. Verse 19. They put him on the pagan secular main stage. I think a modern day equivalent would be like a TED talk. Okay? They put him up there and he builds a bridge. They put him in this place called the Areopagus. Okay, this literally was on a hill that overlooked Athens. So he's literally looking at the pagan temples and some of their idols. Verse 22, he says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That was very kind of him. Okay, because he's, he's, he's angry, he's upset, he's moved, he's saddened, but yet he gets up there and he's very wise and tactful and goes, I perceive that you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the Unknown God. And there is the first part of the bridge. He's building the bridge across. He says, you know what? We are both worshiping a God, a deity. Okay? He's, you know, he's really kind of reaching here, but he finds something to connect with. We both are worshiping. We both are worshiping a deity. And then he builds the bridge back. The end of verse 23. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. So he brings clarity to their religious beliefs. And in verse 24 through 27. He he essentially says. God is that unknown God. He is the God. And then he builds another bridge. Sometimes you have to build several of them. Okay. And in verse 28 he says. In him we live and move and have our being. For we are indeed his offspring. Okay, he's quoting their own philosophers and poets. He builds a bridge. He says, yes, you guys believe this. You guys believe that God is not distant. In fact, mankind is his offspring. I believe that too. But then he shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He says, if we are his offspring, there is no way. There is no way that mankind is the offspring of these metal images that you guys made. That just doesn't make logical sense. Okay? He reasons with them. He goes, you know what? We are not the offspring of metal. And they're all like, well, yeah. 
And he says, Jesus proved that he is the God by rising from the dead. He's alive. Unlike these images that you worship, God is alive. So he says to them, repent. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. Verse 31, he says, you know what? Judgment is coming. I think that's really striking that, that, you know, I would want to be like, hey, believe in Jesus. Come over here. It's all great. But he's no, he's like, no, here's the truth. I've built the bridge with you guys. So I have your ear, but here's what's true. Judgment is coming and you have two options. If you continue like you're living, you're going to receive God's just anger and eternal death or the other option. He talks about assurance here. You can have God's loving assurance of eternal life. Which one do you want? Repent. Turn around right now. Quit living like the way you are. Cross the bridge right now. I love you too much to not share the truth with you. We go on and on and on about this passage. And I I encourage you to study this passage. Many people through the years, through the centuries, and and even recently have come up with different models of how to share your faith and how to interact with culture based on Acts 17. It's it's so rich. But I want to focus on the results. Remember the third step to building a bridge? It's stepping back and hoping that it works. Okay? And here in Thessalonica, that first bridge, some people cross the bridge and believe, but others burn that bridge. Okay? They're trying to they're trying to find Paul and they can't find him. So they're like, well, Jason, let's take him instead. I mean, they're just they're after him. And in Berea, the next the next place, many sprinted across that bridge, but some did not cross that bridge. And in fact, the Thessalonican bridge burners show up there as well and create trouble. In Athens, some burn the bridge as well. They mock him in verse 32. Some hang out on the bridge and they're curious like, oh, we'll hear you again. And some cross the bridge and believe. This should bring us incredible rest, courage, hope, and comfort. Because the results are up to God. You know, Paul, Paul didn't change his message about Jesus as he went to these different places. He was sharing the same good news of Jesus Christ. Different results in every place. Jesus had mixed results when he would tell people about himself. We can do this. You can do this. The results are up to God. Now, I want to share a definition of successful witnessing with you. How do you successfully witness? Here it is. It's taking the initiative to build bridges to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Taking the initiative to build bridges to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. So, What's your next step? (coughs) Excuse me. What's your next step? Maybe you haven't crossed the bridge yourself yet. Believe. Follow Jesus with your life. Believe in him. 
He is the answer to your questions. Now, if you're here and you don't believe in him and follow him, you are welcome and you are loved. I would love to, to sit down with you and, and, and talk through some of your questions. As with Joey and our elders and leaders, we would love to do that. If you're here and you're just curious, that's great. But, but I'm telling you, just like Paul told them, judgment is coming. Don't wait any longer. I urge you because I love you to cross the bridge and believe in Jesus. So maybe that's your next step today. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've done that and your next step needs to be to start taking the initiative. Like this definition says, we have to take initiative. So maybe that just starts for you by building relationships with people, having conversations with people, becoming a better question asker. Maybe you need to start building bridges. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at taking the initiative and having conversations with people. Now you need to start to find common beliefs. Ask some great questions to learn what, the, what people believe as you walk through life. Maybe for you, your next step is to build that bridge back and share Christ. Tactfully show how Jesus is the fulfillment of that belief that you both have. Maybe it's just this. Maybe your next step is to stop doing this in your own strength. Maybe you love having conversations with people and build bridges to people all the time and talk to people about Jesus. But you just do it and you're like, I've got this. Here we go. And you neglect relying on God and saying, you know what? I need your power today, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me up and empower me to do this because I cannot do this without you. And for all of us, here's what I know our next step needs to be. We need to find rest, and we need to find courage, and we need to find hope and comfort in the fact that the results are up to God. Take that next step. Take that next step today because Jesus is coming back soon. And judgment is coming. Let's pray. God. I thank you for the example we have in Acts 17 of, of building bridges relationally with people.